Welcome back to Brain Noodles. This is a show where a bunch of psychologists talk about current events, stuff that we've read about, and just the random stuff our brain is noodling on. So welcome, everybody. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Megan Connell. I'm a co-founder of Geeks Like Us, and I do a bunch of other things. Uh, let's go around and introduce ourselves. We'll start with Dr. Sarah. Hello, I'm Dr. Sarah Sawyer. I am a uh, geek therapist out in uh, Seattle, Washington, although that's TBD at this point. Um, and then I also do some streaming for Geeks Like Us Beyond Brain Noodles with Thuppence on Thursdays and write some things and say some words of places and do all the stuffs. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Dr. Rachel. That's a hard act to follow, but I'll try. Uh, I Yours am Dr. Is cooler, Rachel. Don't worry. <laughs> I am Dr. Rachel Cowart. I am a research psychologist. I am the research director of Take This, which is a mental health nonprofit that works within the gaming industry uh, and gaming communities. I am also part of the broader Geeks Like Us families on Clinical Role, which is on Mondays, a little D and D group run by Dr. Megan, and I also write the things and do the say the words and whatever Sarah said. <laughs> <laughs> and last but definitely not least, Dr. Kelly. So my name is Dr. Kelly Dunlap. I'm a clinical psychologist. I teach game design at American University and I also have a background in game design and like to make games and stuff. And so pretty much any intersection between mental health and games is where I'm at. And I think I can say it on here. Um, I recently just joined the Take This family. And Welcome! There's three of us now. Yeah. yeah, I have. I've, I've wormed my way in, and so I am starting as their project manager for the ambassador program, which is Take This. Woo-hoo. Take This is? Yeah. Um, streaming program for uh, for. I don't know. This is really, I'm still, as you can tell, I'm brand new. I haven't even been onboarded yet. So I don't have the talking points down, um, but I'm super excited to be working with them like officially and to be part of the family. Um, yeah. Yay. And, oh, Yay. Yeah. We're so happy to have you. <laughs> Besides one person who does the actual physical social media up, uploading, we are the entirety of the take. This is content creation here. Oh my gosh. And, so I mean, Dr. B, but I mean, he, he more now is overseeing and directing and choosing, and we three are the curation of Take so, This. So Dr. B is overlording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're the ones In that the do the best way. Yes. In the yeah. best way. We're the feet on the <laughs> ground, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way. Good way to... Well, that's awesome. So it is post-Thanksgiving for all of us, and we are all... Is everybody recovered from their feasting and binging of food? I always like to think that Halloween kicks off like two to three months of just endless grazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, with Thanksgiving right in the middle of that grazing because there are leftovers for days. So I, I have my stretchy pants on. I'll just say that. Mid grazing marathon. I love it. I've always called it the eating season. Mm. <laughs> yes, it's my favorite season. Yeah, yeah, it starts off like, was, yeah, Halloween really is the kickoff, and then kind of escalates up through Thanksgiving, up then through like the holidays, Christmas, and then New Year's. It's like the fasting season. <laughs> but the Halloween, not Halloween, Thanksgiving leftovers are the best food of the whole year. Yes, mm-hmm. 
It's even better than like the fresh Thanksgiving meal. Like the day after Thanksgiving food is so good. In my household, we, well, we actually had a discussion of rather than doing the Thanksgiving feast, just making the leftover sandwiches for the main meal. Like, mm-hmm. It's so good. I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my mother-in-law has this fantastic thing where she like takes all the leftovers and then makes this casserole called Turkey Surprise, which sounds like something out of like a Wayside <laughs> Stories cafeteria. Um, but it's so good because it's the stuffing and the turkey and then a little extra zhuzh that I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> my money's on cheese or bechamel sauce. <laughs> I feel like Dr. B is with us because you just dropped that bechamel sauce and I'm like, I don't have enough to understand what that is. Um, it's very good. It's a white it. creamy sauce made with flour and milk. <laughs> oh, probably. There's probably yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> fancy names, simple makings. So it's sort of like you know, the fancy term of like buttress and flying buttress for just building supports. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Totally sounds like it should be something way fancier than it is. <laughs> First time. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that comment of fancy name, simple making, I feel like it's like just encapsulates my life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> fancy name, Dr. Professor. <laughs> simple. <laughs> I like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and vegetable sauce. Oh, I made vegan meals. Yes. No, I made vegan sides for the first time. Um, which is a far cry from what I grew up with in, in the Midwest, where a feature of our annual Thanksgiving feast was Oreo salad, which is just crushed up Oreos mixed with Cool Whip. What? Yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> cool Whip. Yeah. Wow. And you called it a salad. Uh, welcome to the healthy. Midwest, my friend. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm from and, the South, and, and we don't have that. We <laughs> had the state. Well, that's Iowa. Iowa. That's really worth that. It like church basement lady shit right there. <laughs> So we had a dear friend move in with us here. She's moving on to Seattle. And so she's a vegan. And so I wanted to be a responsible cook. And so everything but the actual beasts was vegan. And it, I have never felt so light and refreshed after a meal, <laughs> let alone on Thanksgiving. And the leftovers hold up so great so far. I'm really oh, pleased. That's yeah. Wow. That's Lots good. of veggies. But... Hashtag not a sponsor. Love and Lemons is the website to go if you want good vegan recipes for people who don't eat vegan. Loved it all. Nice. Yeah, we just did basic stuff here. And we're, I think we're almost through our leftovers now. But we do have eight people in the house. (laughs) Yeah, that'll go quick. Yes. So any exciting news for any of you guys happened during the holidays? Like any fun stories or interesting shenanigans? All of my puppies have their forever homes. So I'm now, now down to just one dog, and that's mine. Puppy sad. And uh, I got to, so one of the puppies came, drove with us to New York, so from D.C. to New York with us, because my brother-in-law adopted him. And Aww. so I had the very difficult time yesterday where I, like, held Toby and was like, I'm going to and just handed him, handed him over, and I'm still kind of weepy about it. But, like, I know... I, my brother-in-law has two little girls, so I have two nieces, and they, like, one of them literally did not want to go to her gymnastics practice because she didn't want to leave Toby. Oh. So he's, I know he's going to be very well taken care of, and we'll be back up here for things, for uh, for Christmas, so I'll see him in, like, four weeks, and he's going to be huge. And so, yeah, just a lot of, at least for me, in the last week, a lot of life changes, you know, new job, all the puppies are gone, like, all the big 
changes that can happen pretty much. So nothing, nothing funny per se, but uh, very, uh, very endearing and very, very cute. All the feels. I want to validate for a second that fostering puppies is unparalleled with the emotional labor that it takes to give them back. I did it in college because I really wanted a dog, but I knew I couldn't keep one. So we had a litter of six as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, who knows if they're going to get along? They like these toys. It's so hard. You're doing the good work by sending them all to forever homes. And that's the thing. I'm like, but, but no one's going to take care of them as well as I could. And so, you know, I'm sure they'll go to good homes, but are they good enough? And so I've gone through this weird, like, empty nest grieving process where with Toby, I bought him a new jacket. I bought him a new sweater. I got him a new harness. I got him a new bed. And so that way I told my husband, I'm like, you know what? If this is what empty nest is like for a puppy I've had for 10 weeks, you just wait. You just wait until that tiny little child goes off to college. And then, I don't know, I'll probably buy a house or a plane or a yacht or something to like (laughs) cope with the loss. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, on dog related news, we got a dog too. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Well, okay. So my two youngest ones have been begging for a dog. My son too was wanting a dog really, really badly. And we, my husband and I were the holdouts being like, no, it's nice not having one. And last Sunday there was just a complete meltdown of we want a dog and it completely broke us. And so we now have a dog. (laughs) So where did you find this puppy? Uh, Rescue shelter here in Charlotte. Yeah, she was already microchipped and she's housebroken, which tells us that she was with a family and they either, uh, she ran away and then when they got contacted, when she got picked up, they decided not to get her or they abandoned her. So we're not sure why. She's super duper sweet and playful and a little bit puppy mischievous, but really fun. So... (laughs) So there's, at least for me, there's always that moment when you, when you like connect with the dog and you're like, yes, you have chosen me. Was there, who did that moment happen to? I think everyone, it's actually sort of been everyone. There's one spot on the couch that she has chosen as hers and any human who happens to sit in that spot becomes her human in that moment. And she just will put your, her little head on your lap and just cuddle in with you. And she's super sweet. And what kind of dog is she? We think she's a Staffordshire Terrier a mix of some kind. So she's got the wrinkly that's, forehead and the little floppy ears. Whatever. And that's what people commonly think are pit bulls. Yes. Yes. But oh, she's I can't really wait to meet her. She's super sweet. She's got this like gray and white coat and just oh, she's, it's awesome. And my kids are very very happy, excited okay. to take her on walks and things too. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Some, somewhat relatedly, did anybody watch the uh, the dog show on Thanksgiving? Because that's always my favorite thing after the parade. I saw who the winner was. Yes. No. A, what, a bulldog? Yes. Named Thor. Um, Thor. <laughs> yeah. I just seeing him described as being thick or chonk. That's not very body positive. You know, he's, he's a built little bulldog. He yeah. is designed to dog bulls or something. He's so. beautiful. <laughs> yes. Not as good as the year at the Beagle one, but I'm totally biased. So, is this the Westminster Dog Show? Yes. Okay. We don't have the year I watch. We don't have TV. We don't have cable, or we just have like the uh, antenna for when we need to watch like local news or something. But really, even then, we go to YouTube and just get our local news upload from YouTube. So, well, now you know that Thor the Bulldog won the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. I 
feel like my life is more complete with this knowledge. It, yes. Yeah. And wait till you see his face. You should Google him later. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, did you all, uh, okay, well, I have a, a question that's not related to Thanksgiving and the holidays. Have you guys been watching The Mandalorian? Yes. I am no. so excited about, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys have to see it. Oh, but I, baby Yoda <laughs> is so cute. Dude, oh my, my heart gosh. cannot contain it's everywhere. Baby yeah. Yoda. No, but in the show, oh, yes. so it's even, like, my heart wants to explode. He's it's so good. And I, I it's an, not a spoiler thing, but, like, the Baby Yoda, the thing that I love the most about it is it's a Muppet. Mm-hmm. It's not CGI. It is an actual <gasps> practical prop. It is that is fantastic. Classic. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Watch um, the show. Yeah, most of the aliens that they've shown so far, I think, have been practical effects. So I have a whole rant about how Muppet Yoda is infinitely better than CGI Yoda. Yes. Um, and that yes. usually gets me into trouble, but I am, I am excited. And I promise we will get caught up. We just have been traveling. So. Well, I will say I was all about the Baby Yoda gifts, and then I started watching the show, and it's just you have to watch the show. Like, mm-hmm. You have to watch the show. It's so good. Yeah, it's on the list. I promise. It's yeah. it's really 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 well done. I still haven't short. seen Joker, so I mean, oh, <laughs> I oh okay, guys. Okay, okay, well, here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pay for a babysitter on top of buying the tickets. That's true. So, and like, uh, you know, The Mandalorian is like 30 40 minute episodes. It's a lot more digestible. Yeah, and I've heard that it's like not just Star Wars fans good, but like. Good. Very, it's good. Very good. It's very good. So I'm I'm excited to dig into that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, if you have somehow oh, never yeah. ever watched a Star Wars film, you could still jump into this and enjoy for it. Sure. For sure. For the record, I have seen I have seen all the Star Wars films. <laughs> <laughs> like my nerd cred on the line here. Yeah. <laughs> I literally watched Rogue One last night. So yes, it just it, it will happen. Rogue One's so good, too. Yeah, Rachel, you celebrated Thanksgiving, too, though, but even though you are in Canada. I I am in Canada. We do Thanksgiving. (laughs) Canadian Thanksgiving is in August, which I did have, and I have wonderful neighbors um, who are, like, family, and they have me over every year. Um, So I went to their house, and so I reciprocated with um, Friendsgiving. We had Friendsgiving at my house. Um, And it was basically just... I had the same meal twice and living in Canada has lots of perks. And one of them is two Thanksgivings because <laughs> one in August and one in November. Cause it's weird to have it before Halloween. Let's be honest. Uh, you gotta have so what, like what is, what is Canadian Thanksgiving? Like, you know, in America we have this really weird, like whitewashing of pilgrims and natives and blah, blah, blah. And so, and then we have our, like our traditional dinner. Um, so I'm curious, what, what, what is the, the wrapper around Canadian Thanksgiving? Um, and is there maple syrup involved? Is there maple syrup involved? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think maybe there is maple syrup on the sweet potatoes, but maple syrup is not a staple, I would say, okay. of, of the Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving in Canada, as I Google it, I've only been here a few years, was celebrated. <laughs> I think it's about their <laughs> maybe. <laughs> So that's okay. I'm sorry. It's, it's my mistake for asking you to for all of them. Um, what this <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> Represent your entire country right now. Okay. The first official annual Thanksgiving in Canada was celebrated on the 6th of November. 
Uh, though indigenous <laughs> people in Canada have a history of celebrating the fall harvest. Oh, so maybe it's like the same. It predates the arrival of European settlers. So maybe it's very similar to American Thanksgiving just earlier in the year. It's too cold in November. Everything, all the produce is dead by November up here. So That's fair. You have to have it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's your harvest festival. Yeah. I just love it. That's awesome. I'm well, from Texas. I don't know all of Canadian <laughs> history yet. I've only been here today. Is, now, wait. If there was a state to have its own Thanksgiving, though, I think it would be Texas. That's true. Oh, yes. It'd be like brisket and potato salad or something. Yeah. Which is also delicious. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, yes. we'll jump into a quick break before we jump into our main topic of today. So we'll be right back. Curious about the psychological effects of time travel? Want to join in on Harry Potter trivia? While watching stupid people play games, that wasn't very nice, but I'm saying it anyway. Come join Thumpence on Thursday at our Geeks Like Us Twitch stream from 9 to 11.30 EST at night. We'll have a good time. We want to hear what you have to say. Other fun things. Megan's looking at me like I'm doing a decent job. Enjoy Brain Noodles. And we're back. So today, for our main topic, we're going to be talking about something that I think uh, is going to be on a lot of parents' minds coming into the gift buying season, which is parental controls around video games and how you do all of that. It's uh, an interesting area, I guess. I don't know. Like, the whole parental controls thing is a challenge because like it's uh so many parents it seems like the first thing we have to tell them is like use them find them yeah i think it's hard when the technology is evolving so quickly that it's not it's literally not what we grew up with like mm-hmm. you talk about parental control on the nintendo 60 laugh in your face but <laughs> you want to talk about an xbox or a playstation it gets complicated fast yeah, when I was a kid, the parental controls were they took away my Game Boy. Yeah, I, we, Rachel and I were doing, uh, looking into doing a small project around parental controls. And the thing that really got me was, well, one, most parents don't even know they exist. They don't even know that there is a thing. And then when you do know they exist, like trying to find how to actually use them is incredibly challenging. Um, so I, like, I am... I'm literally with a, I'm an Xbox MVP, most valuable professional. It's this little fun title that I have, and you know, I basically I'm a hardcore Xbox fan, and I know more about the Xbox and Xbox games than most normal people. And even I have such a struggle with the parental controls. And so I went to like the forums of other MVPs, Xbox ambassadors, like ever you know people who are really really deep into this, and I asked them like, is there a resource that is one visual? to help walk parents through kind of like those wiki hows that I have like mm-hmm. step by step because there is this wonderful page, at least for Xbox that lists out all the parental controls and there's so many, which is great, but it's written in like very, not technical, but like very technical language and there's no pictures. And so, you know, if I'm having trouble implementing that and I'm already super familiar with the platform, I can only imagine what it's like for someone who doesn't know what their X cube or their game box is, is doing. Mm-hmm. And, so when I posted to the forums, that I got two answers. The vast majority were, no, that doesn't exist. That kind of easy resource does not exist. The other was, parents don't care. They, yeah, I think that was pretty much it. Parents don't care. They're not going to use it anyway. I'm like, no, 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 no. They care. They care a lot. They just don't know that it exists. And so like trying to bridge that gap because they exist, but the target audience doesn't know they exist. And then, but there's no intermediary to help 
those who don't know learn. And then once they learn, there's no bridge to get them to like use it other than almost literally sitting down with someone and walking them through the steps in person. Um, and so one, I'm happy that they're out there, but like, that's not, that's not enough. I think there is definitely more on the, the game developers um, or at least the platform developers to be more um, vociferous in their promotion of the parental controls and reaching out to non-gamer spaces um, where your parents are more likely to be to connect with them about that. And you said bechamel was a big word. What was that? <laughs> yeah, tell me about that word. I don't know that word. <laughs> um, uh, vociferous would be to me like not boastful is not the right synonym, but something like loudly outspoken about. Ah, good word. That's so, like to good shout word. to shout from the rooftops to be very adamant and pro- mm-hmm. proclamationy. <laughs> There's not so good of a word, Kelly. That's not a good word. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a cycle. You know, I occasionally find yeah. a, a plethora of interesting words and then make up my own. Very good. No, I love it. That was <laughs> awesome. just great. I think a lot when I think about parental controls of like ownership and the never-ending battle, both internally and between the parent and the child, of like. I gift you this device, but on this device, let me immediately take it back and regulate it and log into it and make my own password. Like all of that seems counterintuitive when you're giving a device as a gift. And then if you're giving your child something like a Xbox one X or a PlayStation four, like how do I even going? I'm going like, I know my parents growing up very much valued, like the startup, as part of the gift experience. So like I would be the one to start up a gift I received because then I get the like welcome page, you know, so it would ruin the welcome page if you did this before boxing. So there's this whole like, how much do I regulate? How and when do I intervene? And then how do we formulate it into a privilege, but also a thing that is theirs? So that's where it gets really complicated in my head around like, they don't make it friendly for parents to do that process. Mm -hmm. It's more built for the player and then parents can have access to the thing. But like, if you look at PlayStation, you have to have a system password in order to even regulate any parental controls. So where does the parent get that? Where does that start? Well, I mean, for me at least it starts with, I can't speak to the unboxing because again, I've had an Xbox with me since they were invented. Um, And so my son is coming up with it already existing in the house. And so it's not so much a gift to him as it is like a family entertainment system or console. And when I think about gifting, I think about a specific game. Like that game maybe is his. Um, But I, I like your point about, you know, if the system itself wasn't crappy to some degree, we wouldn't even need these kinds of controls. You know, if they actually monitored the online environment and actually enforced the rules and the terms of service that you agree to, then you wouldn't need to, like for example, on the Xbox, you can make it so on your child's account, they can only play with people on their friends list and that you get to, you have to approve who is on that friends list and who is not. You know, again, as a parent of a small child, that's very important to me to know who he's playing with, or at least that there's some accountability for who he might be connecting. And my three-year-old does not play online. I'll just say that out there. <laughs> but I think about as he gets older and he wants to play with his friends, you know, that's, that's important. And it needs to be there because, you know, as a, as a woman in the game space, especially in the first person shooter space, 
I know, I know what's out there on, <laughs> on Xbox Live. And it's not, it's not appropriate for well, really anyone, um, but especially for a child. So uh, in my brain, it's a lot like, okay, yeah, go out to the park and have friends, but you need to be back before it's dark. Or yes, you can ride your bicycle, but an adult has to be there. And so kind of that transition period, at least for small ones, where they still need the support and the, the support from their parents to do pretty much everything. Uh, I think it gets more tricky once you get into teen years when you have to give that level of trust. And so it's a, it's a tough line to walk. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point, too, about um, the online spaces. So the parental controls when we were children where our parents taking our Game Boy away. But now it's not only you have to control the content they're consuming with the games that they're playing, at least in the sense of looking at the kind of games that your children are playing, but you have to try and control the online space or you, or at least have an idea, again, of what's happening. Is it appropriate or not? Then you have streaming, which is another thing that is generally unregulated. Um, so it's a lot and I'm sure it's overwhelming and maybe that's why on the forums they say parents don't care. Maybe it's not parents don't care. Maybe it's parents are overwhelmed and they don't know Mm -hmm. where to start with any of it. Right. No, I think that's a really valid point because like, there's just so much out there and like, as psychologists, one of the things we know is like humans like easy solutions. If you put too many steps in something, we're not going to follow through with it. Like if we have a choice between A or B, we do really well. Throw a C in there, it, it becomes just a crapshoot of what we're going to do. Um, and yeah, we need things like, I wish the gaming industry could follow the model that a lot of the streaming services are using for the kids' platforms where you just ask, is this account for a kid? And you say yes. Mm-hmm. And then the only thing that shows up in that account is stuff that's appropriate for a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on that, I... I think I can say this, so I will say it very carefully. Um, I have had conversations with persons at large Microsoft-owned gaming organizations, um, in particular, about their about these child controls and parental controls, and that it would be really nice if instead of having because as it stands now, parents have to opt in to everything, which means you have to know where everything is, mm-hmm. as opposed to why are there not things like grade bands or age bands? So like this account is for a, you know, someone under the age of six or something like that. And then all the content is automatically shifted mm. to what is appropriate. So like under the age of six, you should not be able to go on Xbox live. You should not be able to talk with anyone online. Whereas opposed to if it was maybe under the age of 16, then obviously those restrictions are going to have to be looser. And that way, if you want to toggle something, you're really just going in and moving one slider based on what you want, as opposed to having to know every single slider that's on there. I think that would be really great. That's what we see with things like Netflix. And obviously I think Netflix is a, is a much simpler tool than say an Xbox or a PlayStation, but it, it does feel like the, the, the work is all falling on the parents as opposed to how, like I I wish the companies would ask themselves, how can we make this easier for parents? We heard you that you wanted these controls and here they are, but we're not making it easy to use. We're not making it accessible and we're not like giving you those shortcuts that as a parent, you desperately need at any given moment for anything. Like it's it's everything for for everything. Everything. (laughs) Being a parent is really, really hard. So anything you can do to make that life easier Um, And there's no reason that they couldn't. Like, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that you should have to opt into everything as opposed to opt out of the things that, the controls that you don't want. And I will say in 
researching, clearly I was, I took on the task of looking into PlayStation's parental controls for this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to do a side by side, they do have age regulated content exposure and limitations, even a spending budget the parent could set per month for That's their nice. kids. Um, but they have to know how to get in and then have that password that they create upon the opening of the machine and then use the password to get into that. Like, so it's a dual level and then they, and then they have the menu they can access and do all of the things they want to do, which are really great things like regulating how much a child can spend or if they can create a new user, they can go online and who know, but you have to get through that step-by-step process first and, I think about mental load a lot when it comes to things like that because parental mental load, like human mental load on average is seven tasks or items plus or minus two. So five to nine things held at our minds at all times. Parental mental load is taken up overwhelmingly by all of the things involved in parenting (laughs) already. So then add on like, by the way, regulate your kids' video games, regulate their choices, like, ugh, that's extra load. Well, and that's why I think we get to a lot of these oversimplified answers of, like, just take it away. Don't even let them have it, because then I don't have to have that extra mental load of regulating the video games and figuring out which ones are okay. And even though this one says it's T, is that really okay for my young teenager, or is it T, like, more upper, you know age. Um, and it, it does, it just, when we create this ambiguity, it's easier for people just to go, you know what, forget the whole thing, I'm out, which isn't a good solution either. Video games are awesome. They're really fun. People should play them. Yeah. You know, my daughter's really into Minecraft. She's four. Uh, my husband set up a private realm so she could play with her friends in the neighborhood. So a very good friend of mine lives across the street and she has kids who are five and seven. And, I, and she does, she is of the just take it away. It's too much to think about. I can't worry about it. Whatever. And I was like, no, no, my husband, we have this private realm. Like literally only the people on this street that we live on are playing in this realm. Like they're not going to have any interaction with strangers. Um, and I talked to her about it for like a half hour and it still was like, are you sure? Are you sure this is the way it works? Are you sure? So it's like, even me, who's like very savvy at what's happening, you can see that there's just so much cognitive load or questions or fear or whatever it is um, that just, I don't want them to have it at all becomes the default. And, you know, games are the dominant entertainment media of the 21st century. Um, Our kids are going to play games maybe at five and seven. We can keep them from playing games, but at some point they're going to have cell phones or they're going to have friends' houses that they go to. And it's a better solution to we can figure out a way as an industry or whatever to simplify it for parents so they can prepare their children who are inevitably going to be exposed to it. Taking it away now does not save them later. Yeah. It's the idea of abstinence only. That is a perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's so easy to sell fear and yeah. just, and like there's just a, a podcast I was listening to. There's saying something about like, uh, this was a non-parent making this comment, by the way. Said like, parents love nothing more than reasons to shame other parents. Which you know, it's like, oh, you let your kids play video games. You t- mm-hmm. must be a terrible parent. And I think some parents like actually do fear that. It's like, yeah, and sure. it, it's not. 
I don't know. I, there, there's a whole big bag of worms we could open with all of that. But like, I think just part of that fear is like, there's too, like, you know, what Sarah was saying, it's like, there's too much to know. And well, all of you guys yeah. are saying this, like, you can't know everything that's going on on Twitch, everything that's happening on YouTube, everything that's going on in this game. You know, like, knowing that like this game that's rated T for T and if you hit this random combo of buttons, it's going to open up a horror level that you don't want your kid exposed to. Like there's too much to know. And so we do need to rely more on the developer side, on the video games, you know, creator side to create this stuff that lets us access the stuff we want to, because again, it creates more consumers, which is what they want. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we also need to make it a priority um, a lot of things, again, as parents, you know, some things you think, oh, this is not a priority and I don't have to worry about it and I'll just keep them from having it now and it's fine. Um, but, you know, it, video games aren't going anywhere. And now that everything is connected to the internet in some way or another, parental mindfulness or parental controls are more important than ever, um, especially for younger kids. This is making me think of that knee granola commercial. Oh God! Yeah, uh, I knew that was coming up today. Yeah, uh, you know I have thoughts on that, Kelly. Oh, I know, which is why I brought it up because I, I would like for you to share those thoughts. I've heard them, but I feel like the world needs to hear them. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there was an ad, a Nature Valley ad, um, and the gist of it was basically childhoods of yonder year were so much more valuable and nurturing and wonderful than our children on their tablets. Even though one of the stories, honestly, was about a guy who went fishing and a bear came by. And I was like, that does not seem less dangerous. That was legit one of the, anyway, that was weird. Yeah. Um, so yes, I have issues with this because, again, it's just drawing on the moral panic of screens are bad and full of everything terrible and being out in nature is wonderful and perfect and my childhood was great and my children's childhood is depraved or whatever it might be. Um, the TLDR is it's all about balance. Kids have video games. Kids love video games. I love video games and I want my kids to love them too. And my daughter loves Minecraft so much and exploring things and running away from the creepers. And she talks about it all the time, but she also, you know, goes sledding and likes to jump rope and loves art and dancing and singing and, you know, these ads just pit one thing against the other. She can also build forts and play Minecraft and build forts in Minecraft, maybe. I mean, I don't really see why one has to be better than the other uh, because they're all just part of life today. And I really don't want her fishing with bears. <laughs> Are you um, sure? I, I mean, I that seemed like such an important memory for that guy. I think <laughs> that's where I'm drawing the line. I'm taking away the fishing with bears, but yeah. Well, and like, I, I got a gripe about that ad too, because when you are asking somebody to reflect upon their past, depending on the mindset they're in is going to change what they say and how they remember their past. And also like, if somebody had a terrible childhood when they're in front of a camera, they're not going to sit there and be like, oh, my childhood for fun. Well, once a week we got to go and play with our dolls because every other day we were helping with all the household chores and the crops or whatever. And then when you're asking a kid who's in the midst of their life, you know, it's asking them like day to day, what do you do for fun? That is a very different question from someone to ask, being asked to reflect on their past. And like mm. the basic psychology of that whole ad with like the change of music and they interviewed the kids alone and they interviewed the, the older people together. Go ahead, Kelly. I mean, one, I was thinking about 
you know, the, just the, the psychology of this um, romanticism of the past. We tend to see our past through these rosy colored glasses. We, I mean, that's just what we do as humans. Um, and the, the thing that got me about this ad in particular is, you know, Rachel going off on it. I'm like, okay, yeah, Rachel doing her thing. That's great. Um, <laughs> which it is, it is. It's totally great. Uh, and then I was on my Facebook feed and I saw a friend of mine post the ad and saying, this is so true. You know, this is, it shouldn't be this, like she literally said, it shouldn't be this way. And then she talked about how her child, I think it's one hour of tablet time on Saturday and that's it. And so one, I have a lot of thoughts, one of which is you do know that the future of the human species is going to be based around screens and tablets, right? And it's like keeping your child from typing, which would make it harder for them to be a functioning adult now. So that's just, that's just one of them. The other is there, I feel like there's this insidious privilege attached to that idea of like, it must be really nice to, to be able to just give your kid all the attention they need, except for that one hour. I know for, for myself, I mean, we, I am perfectly fine and well off, but my husband, he works until like seven or eight cause he works on the Hill. And then my daycare closes at five 30. And so there's this chunk of time where I am a, I'm single parenting it, which I, I'm not comparing it anyway to actually being a single parent. Cause that's hella hard. But like I give my son his tablet so I can make dinner. And, and just like this idea that Another really good example, I was on a, an NPR radio interview with Dr. Anthony Bean, and we were talking about like gaming addiction. And then the host said something like, well, isn't giving your child a tablet the equivalent of like a digital nanny? And I just, there's just like, you know, there's that, that parental guilt, but then there's that social shame on top of it of, you know, there are lots of people who are working two to three jobs and maybe that tablet is what prevents, you know, it's what takes care of their kids. Why are we shaming that? It's not like we all have all these resources to have a nanny to look after our kid. You know, not everybody grows up in a safe neighborhood. Not everybody can just go down the park like we did in the olden days, you know, and it just, oh, there's just the shame and the privilege associated with, well, I don't give my child any screen time because I am making sure that they're enrolled in all these activities and they always have something going on and they're always playing with their own toys or whatever. Like that's, I don't know, it just, it, it makes, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, ugh, I, I don't even have the words. I can't even come up with a word like vociferous for this. I just, <laughs> I just can't. And it's the assumption that it's giving them like mindful entertainment. Our parents put us in front of the television. Did we learn mm -hmm. things from television? Sure. But tablets can teach us all kinds of things. And just by saying you're shoving it in his face so they're distracted, it's totally negating all of the valuable things like typing, like even basic digital age skills uh, that they're learning from, from having the time with the tablet. For the record, one of my son's favorite apps on his tablet is Daniel Tiger's Gorific Feelings. I think I talked about this possibly yes. last time too. But like, it's literally teaching him how to how to breathe and how to relax and how to like recognize emotions. Like, oh. My kids have recently, or my daughter introduced me to something called, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Go Noodle. So I, I feel like I, on the Brain Noodle podcast, we need to give a nod. It's silly, like little kids activities, but it has mindful breathing activities. Um, and in her school, they use this during indoor recess. Mm, and cool. so it's like physical activities, then slow down and, you know, relax and breathe. And then it, it's all kinds of cool stuff. There's actually like a, they have a Zumba, Zumba for kids on it and stuff. So any parents who need like, it's a rainy day and you need your kids entertained. <laughs> Highly recommend it.
But uh, we'll probably come back to this subject because there's lots more we could talk about with the ad and all of this stuff. But let's take a break. And we'll, when we come back, we'll talk about what our brains have been noodling on. Do you like Dungeons & Dragons streams? Who doesn't? Come check out Geeks Like Us Clinical Role, Mondays from 9 to 12 EST. Whereas his Dr. Megan, Canel takes her psychologist friends through the Underdark into pirates? Oh, I want to be a pirate. Oh, get my sword. Pew, pew, pew. Have a good time. Anyway, Clinical Role, Mondays, 9 to midnight, on the Geeks Like Us Twitch channel. <laughs> and we're back. So... Everybody, what is it, what have your brains been noodling on recently? I went to go see Frozen 2. Mm-hmm. And I have a hot take, controversial opinion about Frozen 2. First of all, it's a great movie. I loved it. It was very cute and wonderful, and it was great. Uh, my daughter's four and is, like, borderline traumatized by this movie. Um, I'm not going to – I don't want to spoil it. It's still new. Maybe not everyone's seen it, but there are elements of the movie in which collective ugly cries happened with all of the children aged about four or five. Um, so I've been noodling on the fact that, Disney, I love you, and you're great, and your movies are wonderful. Did you really have to really have to put those things in there? You know that four-year-olds are watching your movie. They were crying. I saw that too. I would do say my favorite quote from the movie though is from Olaf in the very beginning. With the, Which one? Olaf, what are you doing? We're controlling the things we can in a world that's seemingly going more and more out of control. That was pretty good. That was, and then when Sven picks up Anna and says, I'm here, what do you need? Yeah. That was beautiful. Touching therapist moments. It yes. really was, yeah. And I've heard there was a lot of ugly crying from adults too. Like I don't, I've heard I was that crying. It's a not very touching crying. movie. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful and lovely, but yeah, yeah. not for four-year-olds. Mm-hmm. One of the other founders of Geeks Like Us reported on his Twitter that Frozen Two took his whole heart and also all the ugly sobs. So if it makes Ryan mm-hmm. Kelly cry. Yeah, it's yeah. Be pretty. It, it was a good movie. It was really good. It was good. I've been noodling on travel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to North Carolina in two days. That'll be fun. Hey, I get to see Sarah in real life. (laughs) I've been playing a lot of Switch lately, so that's been fun. Mm. I got this new game that I wanted to chat about when we're doing gaming confessions, so I can hold on to it. Okay. But, stoked. I am noodling on uh, PAX Unplugged, because that, as of this recording, is a week away, so I don't know if this will be out in time or maybe after. So hello from the past and or future. Um, <laughs> I'm on a fantastic panel with a bunch of lovely panelists talking specifically about how you can uh, adjust tabletop games to adapt to the needs of, of younger players. So like playing board games with your kiddos. Um, and I get to be there as the game, <clears throat> as the game design expert. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to that. And just, you know, general, general life changes um, have been taking up the, the broad amount of, of my time. But yeah, looking, something to look forward to. And of course, uh, Christmas. I think I, I, that could be its own noodle is I like to find like the quintessential gift for each person. And I know this is a topic that we wanted to address soon. So I'm going to yes. hold off. But that's definitely something that has been taking up a lot of my, uh, my CPU. Is, <laughs> okay, how, do I, how do I find the perfect match? a gift to person. 
I, I should be noodling on PAX Unplugged because that is less than a week away. And I do have my slides for the panel that I'm moderating, which is good. But I've honestly been noodling on self-care. I am trying to do a better job of work-life balance because it's not in balance at all. And uh, trying to exercise more, which was part of our rationale for getting the dog because it's going to force us to go for walks and to be a little bit more active, which will be good. Um, but I've recently gotten into mini painting for just doing miniatures for D&D, &D, and I'm really excited and I like it. Uh, so I just keep thinking about like the different activities and things that I can do that are unproductive fun. Because um, I have found a way to turn most of my fun into a career type thing, and I'm trying to really avoid that and to actually have some stuff that's just fun for fun. Just do something, yeah, fun and frivolous and enjoyable and playful, and that's really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. All right. So it is time for dun, 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 gaming confessionals. It sounds like Sarah has a gaming confessional for this week. I always have a gaming confessional. <laughs> As the uh, resident non-parent, I think I'll probably have the most gaming confessionals because I have the most time for gaming. I got this new game on the Switch called Neocab. And so you it's a narrative game and you drive around, but it's not just a game where you drive around and you have a cab and it kind of simulates what it's like to be like a Lyft or Uber driver, but you're driving, it's, they call it an emotional survival game. And you wear a ring on your hand and I believe another piece of jewelry that indicates your, your necklace, it's a collar. You, it indicates your mood at any given point in reaction to the interactions you're having with your passenger. Um, and the choices you make will influence both the story and like if you kick someone out for being rude or if you drive someone or, or if you don't, if you stand up for a passenger, if someone like, I'm pretty sure there's a sexist interaction and how you react to that will change the narrative. And the kind of underlying story is you come from a small town, of course, and go into a big city to find your lifelong friend who lives in the city. Um, and so it's, it's a really interesting mediator to have kind of like this emotional response system that's active during the whole game and i'm really excited to try it out hmm. Interesting. Awesome. i don't have a confession but i am playing something new which Ooh, is what are you? exciting uh so jenny leclue just came out it is i'm playing it through the the app store through uh apple games um I, I'm spending my entire one month trial playing this game and it is, it is a detective uh, game narrative, choose your own adventure style. You know, you make decisions and it is, you know, you're solving mysteries and I'm very, uh, Jenny LeClue herself is a young redheaded uh, rapscallion. So totally not like projecting or connecting on that, on that way at all. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, so far, so good. I'm a little confused on one point because there's like, obviously it's choose your own adventure. And so if I choose an option, sometimes it'll say, it'll pick that option, but apparently I can pick the wrong option. And so I click the button and then the one I didn't click gets bigger and gets selected. So I'm not quite sure what's going on there beneath the hood. But uh, if maybe I don't actually have as much choice as I think, which is kind of like how games work anyway. But I am, I've been looking forward to this game for probably a couple months. Um, it was originally kickstarted back in 2014 and it's finally out. So I'm very 
very excited to get into Jenny Lickley on my, and it's mobile, so I can do it like as, as we're driving from you know New York back to Maryland, I can get some time in. I'll do a confession of, I've been playing way too much Harry Potter Wizards Unite. <laughs> but again, it's part of that, like trying to do a little bit better work-life balance because it's um, Pokemon Go, but in the Harry Potter universe. And so walking to hatch eggs in Pokemon Go, you walk to get pork keys and other stuff. So I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> That's good. That's self-care. It is. Yeah. I am so not playing anything. fun for fun? Yeah. The yeah. the story in it does not make any sense. I completely, anytime like the text is coming up to tell you more of the story, I'm like, I'm ignoring this because this is all BS. I just want to collect the things and put the stamps in my book. So. Nice. All right. Any gaming confessional for you, Rachel, or no? Um, no, I watched a very interesting video this morning <laughs> about how to acquire a rainbow pickaxe in Minecraft. My house is currently overrun by Minecraft. Excellent. Mine is too. We're, uh, we all, we yeah. also have a family server that we all play on. I'm building the, oh, same. yeah, the keep that we got in my home Dungeons and Dragons game. I'm building that, but the keep oh, cool. is humongous and I am not letting us be in creative mode. We're in survival. So we actually have to go oh, out and we're get, in creative mode. get yeah. everything. My girls really, really, really want to be in creative mode. We're like, nope, nope, nope. We're going to be survival. Like if you want something, you have to go build it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. My husband uh, plays a lot with my daughter and he, they built a tower and um, then like the neighborhood kids are in the server, right? And he came back the next day and he's like, what happened? And all the neighborhood kids came and they built the tower like 10 times. To- <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's fun. It's creative. It is. It's awesome. All right. Well, we have stolen away enough time from our families this week. I think we'll get back to all of them, but thank you all for listening. And Amelia can do the closeout. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Brain Noodles is a production of Geeks Like Us. Your hosts for this podcast are doctors Megan Connell, Kelly Dunlap, Rachel Cowart, and Sarah Sawyer. Music for this podcast is The Life of Riley by Kevin McLeod. Audio edited, mixed, and mashed by Amelia Herbst. Follow Geeks Like Us on Twitter at G33KS like us. That's at G33KSLIKEUS. Until next time, keep noodling.